There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Before we get started with Bench with Bubba, episode 226, Bubba and the Bat Flip 15. I'm going to keep it short and simple. This isn't a promotion, nothing. I just want to say thank you. It's Thanksgiving on Thursday, and I want to say thank you to all the listeners. 226 episodes is about 226 more than I thought I'd ever do, let alone the other podcasts I do that you guys all listen to. So if it wasn't for you guys, I would not be doing this, and I want to say thank you. Um, if you did want to give a rating review, I'd really appreciate it. But most, most importantly, thank you guys for being loyal listeners. If you ever need something, hit me up on Twitter at BDNTrick. I'm helpful. I will help answer any question I can and help you guys out. But uh, hopefully the podcasts are helping you get ready for the upcoming baseball season and much, much more. But again, thank you. Hope you guys have a safe and happy Thanksgiving and enjoy the podcast. As this was Bench with Bubba, episode 226, Bubba and the Bat Flip 15, recapping the outfield position for the 2019 fantasy baseball season. everybody to another episode of Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode 15. It's going to be a fun one tonight as we continue our recap through the positions. We hit the outfield, talk some relief pitchers as well. You know, all those hard-hitting relief pitchers that we're going to tell you we did good and bad, and then in the end tell you, yeah, it's a mess. But that's just how it goes in the world of fantasy baseball these days, and we're getting closer and closer to some some real action going on, uh, a few hot stove moves and everything. So before you know it, Winter meetings, we'll get spring training, and we'll be rocking and rolling. Someone's already doing a draft, a draft Champions League. Oh, that's someone you can find on Twitter at Batflip Crazy. Toby, how we doing, man? We are doing well, Bubba. Yes, I joined my um, uh, my first uh, draft Champions League, which has been pretty enjoyable. I've got a really great group of drafters, really uh, really strong group. So it's been a lot of fun. Been sniped, you know, a little bit, sniped a little bit, and. Um, you know, but it's it's overall been really nice just to be drafting for the real uh, season. But we actually have a snowstorm here in uh, Northern California. I'm a little further further up north and in the foothills, uh, and we're getting we're getting a good dusting over here. 
So yeah, um, it's supposed supposed to be pretty good for you for about a week. Yeah, we're getting a lot of precipitation, which is nice because of yes. fire season. You know, uh, yep. getting. I think we can knock on wood. Uh, hopefully, put um, at least in our area. I shouldn't talk for the rest of California. Fire season, um, I think, is going to be officially over after this snowstorm, and we're supposed to get rain eight out of the next ten days. Um, so it is, uh, it's, you know, it's nice. The kids were throwing snowballs earlier and, uh, having a great time. We made some hot chocolate and just, just rocking out. I enjoy the, uh, the winter season when you're able to kind of just kind of, kind of hang out indoors, rest up, try to stay warm and, you know, do some draft champions leagues, you know, there you go. Some draft champions leagues. Yeah, no, the, the winter time is good and, and it's good. We're getting the rain, like you said, and the snow. So. So hopefully everything stays safe. You don't lose any power or anything. But, um, yeah, the state needs it, needs a lot of it. So it's good to see because a few weeks ago, it didn't look like we are going to get much of anything uh, the rest of the month. And now it's here. So good to see. Hopefully it keeps coming and then it can just stop like March 15th or something right before baseball season. There you go. Love it. Rain, 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 and then stop. That's what we're going to go with. But uh, let's get at it. Let's talk some outfielders here. We'll do the usual three we got right, three we got wrong. Recap the position. Overall, what was your just thought on the outfield position this season? Because there's ways to look at it always, you know, three outfielder, five outfielder. I think for the most part, we play five outfielders in our 15-team leagues. So we look at it a little deeper than others. But what was your thoughts on the outfield position, the ever-deep outfield position? Yeah, I mean, last year, that this is how it all kicked off. 90, 90 outfielders deep on the uh, yep. on the preview episode. Um, how long How long did we go on that one? Uh, two and, over two and a half hours, I think. Yep, that was good. But it was fun. That was good. It, it felt was. like 15 minutes. It did. It, it went by fast. It, it was great. Um, yeah, I, um, I thought heading into this year, I mean, I felt pretty good about the outfield position. There was a lot of guys going a little bit later on that I felt pretty comfortable with again in 15 team leagues going pretty deep on outfield. You know, I think the challenge with outfield a lot of the time is, you know, there may be some good bats, but there's a lot of bats that are platooned. um, And so they may not be playing every single day towards the back end of that outfield position. So that thins it out just a little bit, but overall, I think uh, the outfield position heading into last year and even heading into this year is, uh, is pretty is pretty nice. I I I like it. Okay. How about you? Yeah. So so far so good. Like you said, it, it's super deep. I know it's common math, but you know, 30 teams, three outfielders, and there, there's a lot of platooning going on. Uh, th- there's a lot of ways to go. There's a lot of mixing and matching, and guys coming up and coming down throughout the year. It's I guess their fab position. Um, it's 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 a position that you can use to later in drafts go. Okay, I need a little help in this stat category or these stat categories and kind of mix and match your team that way. It's 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 good in that respect, and that's where it's good to take the deeper dives like we did on your show at 90 deep. And when you and I draft, 90 deep's not even enough. So it, it at least gives you a good idea when we talk about some of these guys. It'll show you why we like them for certain reasons and whatnot compared to the overall. But I'm with you. It's rather deep. I don't see it changing anytime soon. If not, it might just get better, which makes it interesting. Like when we're talking about how deep it is or how much we like it, how does that affect you drafting wise? Does it make you want to be aggressive with it or do you focus on different positions? Yeah, that's a really good question. Cause in my draft champions league, it's kind of developed in a very interesting way. Um, as you know, I like to double tap the starting pitchers towards the beginning. And I got, I got my Garrett Cole at one overall, which was maybe a little controversial, but he's my top player. 
And then I got Chris Sale after that. But I ended up actually getting three straight outfielders after that. Yep. And I've filled all five of my outfield positions before pick 200. And I'm a little, it's not an ideal scenario because I think outfield is deeper than a lot of the infield positions, but it's just the way my team construction has gone. Like when you double tap those starting pitchers and you miss out on stolen bases early on, uh, I think it, I think you really need to be focusing on, on stolen bases for the rest of the, of the, of the draft, you know, at least initially. And so that's kind of been one of my um, focuses just in terms of team construction. I think in outfield, that's where you're going to find pretty much all the stolen bases outside of Hill infield. I mean, I, I yeah. put, put up a tweet um, just looking at how many, how many players and there was like zero at catcher who are, who are projected for double digit stolen bases. Um, there is, I think one, first baseman or two first basemen if you can't count Danny Santana Bellinger and Santana third base I think there was maybe one um and so and then the rest are at middle infield and uh and outfield and so I think if you're looking for stolen bases outfield is a place where you're going to have to have to go uh pretty consistently if you're not if you're not drafting those stolen bases in the initial round so I've actually done that in this particular instance but that's not my ideal scenario I think I want to be targeting infielders more early on um, because I do like some of the outfield values that are available available later on. But there's some of those outfielders at the top I just love, like Austin Meadows is a guy I think everybody in the industry loves. But, you know, I really, really like him a lot. And there's just a lot of kind of five category or four plus category contributors in, in that outfield early on. So I think getting a couple early on and then maybe giving a little bit of a lull and, and snagging some later on would be ideal, but it's not how my first draft has, has, uh, has developed. How about you? Like as you, as you did the pitcher league, pitcher list mock and any other mock drafts you've been a part of, how has that outfield position developed for you? It's weird. It's kind of like you mentioned it. I go, I go into drafts thinking, okay, I can get a lot of Max Kepler types in the middle to later rounds that I feel very comfortable starting every week. So I focus on other positions but when we did like the pitcherless mock, because that's the most familiar in my head right now, I kept going back to outfielders. It felt like, and we only needed three outfielders in that league. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think both my utilities are probably outfielders, because it, it, it to me it feels like after the like elite, say corner infield options, you'd rather have some outfielders before you go to the bottom part of the corner infield. Like middle infield super deep, so you can mix and match that game. But it feels like that middle area of outfielders is so much better in the middle of the other positions, if that makes any mm-hmm. sense. So it's one of those comfort levels. But it all it's all draft dictated because, like, I saw your tweet uh, with the outfielders you you took, and I loved them. I commented on it. I said, you got one of my guys. You got your Austin Meadows. You, you got players that make a ton of sense, players you like, players you've done the research on. They make a ton of sense. And, and a good thing for you is you know the player pool, and you can make those adjustments elsewhere. I'm really looking forward, and I apologize if you've made these picks. I might have missed some, but I'm looking forward to seeing where you go, say, at first base, where we've mentioned it might not be as deep as it's been in years past. You just say, screw it, and go C.J. Cron and a couple of their long shots late because it's draft champions. And and that's the one thing I also tweeted out. I just want to clarify it for some that can't read, like, tweets properly because they are confusing sometimes, is I mentioned draft champions ADP is fun and all, but it's not the best – ADP to have for what we usually draft for. Yeah. And most people understood it when I explained it more. It's fun right now because it's almost all we have. 
But in reality, you want the online drafts or the main event drafts because that's the formats most of us play, fab formats and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. where you're not you're not jumping on certain players early because you have to have that because you don't get to make moves, things along those lines. So what you're doing in, in, in a draft champions, you're doing something different, which makes sense because it might make you build something different where you can take chances later, which you might not feel comfortable doing, say, in your online or your main event things. And that's kind of what I saw. Maybe I'm thinking out of the box there. But I think you can take those kind of chances there where you might not somewhere else. And you locked up a lot of stolen bases because I guess the other point you made that was very strong is after those middle infield positions, you need a stolen bases. And after the top stolen base guys in the outfield, as much as I like those middle outfield options, your stolen base guys are pretty much gone. So that's what you did made sense to me. I know it's not your norm and doesn't make you feel good, but it made a lot of sense. It doesn't make me feel warm and fuzzy, but. Yeah. No, and I think that's right. And just in terms of the draft champions, at least from my perspective, strategically, um, you know, I think what you can look at is I think, you know, knowing that you're, you're not going to be able to work the waiver wire, right. Saves become really important. important. Very important. So um, what's actually interesting is that even in the draft champions so far, the first closer off the board is Josh Hader at 75. I believe. Um, And that's super interesting because you'd expect for it to be like higher in this. And so I really do think that the trend we see right now, there's, yeah, there's three, four, four closers going in the top 100. You'd really expect closers to be going earlier than usual drafts and it may just be that the back end of closers will go earlier because people you just need to lock down your saves uh, ahead of time and be confident in that because you're not going to be able to work the waiver wire to get them and it's really hard to identify you know who's going to come in as the second or third option in, in a given bullpen in a lot of instances and then i also think catchers oftentimes get pushed up a little bit um, and that's because a lot of times players will just kind of mix and match that catcher position based on matchups, you know, kind of stream through, especially that catcher two position. But oftentimes they go a little bit higher in the draft champions because, you know, you, you don't have that luxury. Right. And so once you get into the end game of catchers, it's just an absolute crapshoot. And so you want to lock down at least, you know, two reasonable ones or else just take, you know, (laughs) two or three kind of, back end options and hope that one of them works out. So that's generally how I see, you know, uh, the difference um, between the two, the big difference between the two, but there's certainly other differences and also getting closer to the season and knowing more of these kind of playing time battles and how they're going to shape up will have a dramatic impact on, um, uh, on where people go. Yeah, no, I like it. It's a different strategy it's an interesting format, um, the best ball draft champions idea. So it, it's definitely, it needs to be talked about a little more than just saying, hey, they're drafting fantasy baseball. Because <laughs> that's, like, it's not the standard. Like, what we talk about 99% of the time is not draft champions. So mm-hmm. it's something to definitely keep in mind. Like, the evaluations work, just different ideas here. So let's get it in. We just talked about our thoughts on the outfield. Let's talk about three guys we got right here. Kick it off with one of yours, the guy I, I loved a lot as well. And we, we were both on him. I think we both gushed about him on your outfield preview, and we both nailed him. Who is it? Oh, I'm sure. Um, my The number one guy that I got right is Max Kepler. Uh, he was consensus uh, number 57 
um, in terms of uh, this is using Fantasy Pros consensus rankings since I don't have uh, ADP from last year for NFBC in front of me. Um, he, so he was consensus 57 outfielder or outfielder 57. I had him at outfielder number 40. He finished as outfielder number 40, tw number 26. I also had a bold prediction, which, um, you know, of all my bold predictions, it probably felt the best because it was just like right on point. Like it was exactly almost what he produced. And so really excited about Kepler. Kepler was a guy where the plate discipline was there, actually regressed a little bit this year or declined a little bit this year. Uh, the contact was there. He hit the ball in the air a lot, but he just had a launch angle issue. I compared him to, to Matt Carpenter from the year before, where it was just kind of like a, a launch angle change away from becoming, um, you know, a little bit of a monster there in, in Minnesota. And I think that's what we saw happen. He also struggled with injuries towards the end of the season. So I think his overall line would have been a little bit, uh, a little bit better. But that the Kepler pick felt uh, felt really good. It's nice when you kind of uh, put your put your stake in a guy, or I don't know if that's a saying, but uh, you know where you're really into a guy, you kind of put put a lot of uh, you bank on that by having him on a lot of teams. I even acquired him in a dynasty league um, uh, over the summer because of uh, of the strong feelings I had for him. And to see it work out was really, really nice. And so um, Mac Pepper was my was my number one guy. Who was yours? Um, I'll just move. I had Kepler at three. I'll just move him to my number one and talk about him. So it's simultaneous here. Um, I love Kepler as well. I love the fact that, you know, he's entering basically his, it was his fourth full season. A guy that came over from Germany, hadn't really played baseball his whole life, was kind of learning the game as he, go, he went, kept showing improvement year after year, kept showing his, you know, from 17 to 18, his strikeout rate dropped over 4%. Still a strikeout rate below 17% this past year. The crazy thing is, is he's doing this with BABIPs of 244, 236, 276, 261. If that BABIP ever rises, that batting average is going to come up. It's going to be glorious. But um, that's something for an, another day with him. What I love about him is year after year, his barrel rate goes up almost 9% this past year. You mentioned his launch angle improved. His All his X stats showed that he should have been even better. You know, he finished with a 252 average, X batting average is 262, 42% uh, hard hit rate. That's gone up every single season. Just everything he does on a, on a chart perspective is on the incline. And I really don't see it slowing down anytime soon. He's 26 years old. Uh, I think there's a lot to like about Kepler. Sadly for us, Toby, more people are going to be on to him this year. But I, I still think there's a lot to enjoy about him coming forward. Um, if he just, you mentioned the ground ball rate, it's still 36%. If that can continue to drop, Maybe more fly balls or line drives. We could really have some fun with uh, Max going forward. But he increased his pull percentage from 42 to 51% last year. Lots to love with Max Kepler, even going into this season. Uh, I'll be back on him again this year if the price is right. So uh, Max was definitely one that I got right as well. Who was your number two? Um, my number two guy that I got right was um, uh, Ryan Braun. Uh, he was a, you know, an, an ageless, ageless wonder. He was a guy who I had in um, a lot of my leagues. Uh, he was a consensus number 43 guy. I had him at number 38. He finished at number 33 and just, I uh, had him in a bunch of spots. So, you know, he's just a, a consistent performer, um, contributes those steals. I think he had 11 last year, hit more than 20 home runs. Um, he also is a guy that, that I don't mind cause he's going late enough 
um, where, or he was going late enough where I didn't mind like having him, but um, uh, kind of moving him in and out of my lineup based on matchups, you know, because he does sit uh, a couple times a week. And so on those weekend series, if he didn't have a good matchup, I could, you know, kind of put in another outfielder for him. So that was one that, that, that worked out and, his price continues to drop. He's at uh, 242 right now in the NFBC ADP this year. So it'll be interesting to see another year. It'll be interesting to see what what we learn about the plans for Braun um, heading into uh, into next year. But he was a guy that I that I got right. But I'm I'm really excited to hear more about your guy that you got uh, right for number two there. Yeah, Braun's one I love. I, I grabbed him in the, uh, the pitcher list mock. He's a guy I seem to grab late every draft because of the things he mentioned. Still so consistent and just getting it done year after year. Uh, my guy was Ronald Acuna Jr. And some might say this is like, oh, no, no, duh. But my point is, is for anybody that listened to me, I brought it up at the Barf draft where I drafted him with, I believe, the first pick in the draft for me. Uh, is like wherever, wherever I drafted, I can't remember where it was, eighth, ninth, something like that. I love Ronald Acuna Jr. I said this guy was going to challenge Mike Trout for the number one outfield spot at the season's end. People thought I was crazy, and that was in February. Um, I, I was huge on the jumps he could make for his abilities, and he did all of that. He's um, it, It's crazy for a guy that's 21 years old to do what he's doing. Now, is there regression coming? Possibly. As good as you were like that, but my goodness, the barrel rate was 15%. Launch angle was there. Hard hit rate was almost identical to last season. If you look at his X stats, he actually was almost in line with his X stats, at least his batting averages. His X slug, he should have been better than last year. He had a 518 slug, an X slug of 572. His Woba was 369, X Woba 386. His X Woba bacon was 495. Technically, if you look at his X stats, he underperformed, which is crazy to look at when you think of what he did last season. I'm in love with one uh, with Ronald Acuna, and I think it's hard not to be. He's, he's young. He's going to continue to make some stupid mistakes, but he's also going to continue to get better and better. This kid's going to be an upper-end outfielder for time, uh, years to come, and this is one that I planted my flag on early last year. People thought I was crazy, and it panned out to be very, very true. So I will definitely take the victory lap once again on Ronald Acuna Jr. Nice. Yeah. <clears throat> what, a, what an absolute stud he is. Yep, yep. Who's your number three? My number three is the Fire Eagle himself, um, Eddie Rosario. Uh, he was consensus number 22 outfielder. I had him as the number 19 outfielder. He finished as the number 18 outfielder. Um, I have just loved uh, Eddie Rosario um, for a while. You know, high contact approach. He does chase the hell out of the ball. He's got a terrible, terrible plate discipline, which makes which makes him get into some slumps, I think, um, occasionally throughout the year. Like he'll get really, really hot. He'll have some pretty cold, pretty cold, cold spells as well. I was into him last year as well when he was a little bit cheaper. He was like going around pick like 120 or 115 in, in 2018 drafts. And then going into 2019, he was going around pick 90, pick 85. Had him on a lot of my teams. Loved throwing up that gif has some power. He's in the middle of that uh, Twins lineup. So he gets RBIs. He's pretty fast. He doesn't steal bases necessarily, but he he does score some runs. Just a really, uh, really fun player. I did consider dropping him from this list because when I went to Minnesota, uh, he missed the series injured and 
you know, <laughs> neither him nor the twins responded to my tweets requesting a meeting of of our of uh, of myself with uh, the Fire Eagle, but it didn't happen. But I still love Eddie, and um, it worked out well. I think again, you know, he hasn't really moved up too much in drafts. He's right around kind of that ADP of of eighty to ninety this year again, and. I think going there, he's potentially another value. One thing that I have seen is that, you know, given um, I think what he's expected to make in arbitration um, and the fact that he's going to be a free agent relatively soon, I don't have it um, exactly in front of me, but uh, there is some rumors that he may be traded from the twins. Um, that's there's, there's some suggestion, suggestion around that. Oh yeah. So he's, he's a, he's a free agent in two years. Um, so in, uh, 2021. And so the idea would be that trading him now will get a much better return than if they try to trade him in his last year. And so that'll be something that'll be interesting to see this off season is among the many names being shopped around, whether Eddie finds a new home and if so, where that is and, and where that fire Eagle will land. But I hope he stays with the twins because I really like the twins and I think he fits in well there. How about you? He fits, your, he, oh, he fits in that ballpark very, very well. And I was very disappointed that they couldn't make that work. I don't think they realized what kind of fan you were uh, of Eddie Rosario, the uh, Fire Eagle. It was it was shameful behavior on their yeah. part, but I understand. I think it also is one of those times where like having a having a faceless um, avatar and <laughs> Twitter name kind of hurts you. Because like, you know, I, when I started do, uh, doing this, I was like, oh, I'll be bat flip crazy and I'll just be bat flip crazy on Twitter. And it's just kind of stuck. And so I feel like, you know, they're like, uh, who's this Who's this weird avatar only guy tweeting at us? So it's a, it's a shame they didn't do their research and find out how lovely of a human being I am and <laughs> how much I love Eddie and didn't make it happen. But uh, yeah. those, those are the breaks and, uh, and, and we move on. Who is your uh, who is your number three guy? This is the guy I'm really excited to hear you hear you talk about because there's already some controversy. I think about yes, there, heading into there was there was a lot of controversy last year, and there's already controversy this year about Victor Robles. Uh, this is the guy I loved going into last season. I had him ranked 17th on my outfielders, and I had him ranked that high just to basically show people how much I wanted to have him. And I had him almost everywhere. And when I was in certain drafts where people knew I wanted him, then they paid too much for him. Uh, he finished 24th on the Rasball. Raiders, so below what I had, but still much higher than most people had him coming into the season. And a few things I liked about Victor Robles coming into last year was the power-speed combo that he gives you in the outfield, something we kind of talked about already. He helps fill positions. Now, last year he had 255. We're used to him hitting much better in the minors. His strikeout rate went up to 23% than almost any season in the minors. His walk rate was down to 5.7%. In the minors, he had at least an 8 to 9% walk rate, if not better, at most times. So from an overall plate approach, it wasn't ideal. But 17 homers, 86 runs, 65 ribbies, 28 stolen bases uh, was not bad, especially for the fact, a couple things. They started him out at the bottom of the order. And he was at the bottom of the order. It really struggled with him. When Trey Turner got hurt, you saw Victor Robles go to higher in the order, and he started to thrive. Shocker. I know. You put him in front of guys like Juan Soto, Anthony Rendon, and a kid's going to hit. Surprise, surprise. But uh, And then they kept moving him around once uh, Trey Turner came back. And they had uh, Adam Eaton up there. It was just a weird dynamic with uh, Victor Robles overall. I think they need to just put him at the top of the order and roll with it. Some of the controversy over here, you know, barrel rate was only 4.8%. That's not great. 
His exit Vila was 81%. That is bad. Hard hit rate's only 23%. Not good, even though his hard hit rate's really never been good. He's one of those guys that just kind of tricks, if that makes sense. Um, I'm not saying he's guys, but we've seen it in the minors with him. 20-plus home run power, and the things I – what I draft him for is stolen bases, and that's what he did. Stealing 28 bases, that's like a top, what, six or seven stolen base guy in all of baseball off the top of my head last year. That's elite. That's what we're looking for, and that's what I drafted him for. Um, so those are the kind of guys that I'm going for when it comes to Victor Robles and other outfielders. All right, so yeah, the controversy, obviously, and you can touch on this more if you want, is the exit velocity, the hard hit, all these things that aren't ideal, the bad batting average, so on and so forth. I think a lot of that will get better. 22 years old, young kid. I think spots in the order is going to help a time. Hopefully just get Adam Eaton out of the way or move him around or something. At least move him up to like six. Don't have him batting eighth. They're not going to pitch to him with a pitcher behind him. That's just common sense. So I still have high hopes for Victor Robles. Uh, more people are on to him. I, I know you got him, I think, with your third or fourth pick in your draft champions. And uh, you can explain why you picked him because I'm pretty sure it's everything I was talking about as well. So I, I, I have Victor Robles as one I got right. This is a guy I was very, very big on going into the year. I was happy with the 17 homers to me was a bonus. The 28 stolen bases was outstanding. That's like top, again, like I said, he was like top seven or something in baseball, which is elite in stolen bases. And so in a market where steals are so bad, He's going to run like crazy again. If he can just, you know, OBP at 326, imagine if his OBP goes like 350. That's probably another five plus stolen bases at least. You get him going over 30 steals, big things to come from Victor Robles. And I think that batting average will get better too because you look at his BABIP and everything, 310. It's not bad. It's not great. He's, uh, you know, in the minors, he's a 330 plus type BABIP guy. So I think there's a lot to like from him, and I think he's only going to get better. So Victor Robles was the third guy I got correct. Yeah, and, and when I was looking at him, I think I was looking at the same thing for you. I mean, let's just say he repeats what he did this year. He's a 20-year-old prospect with incredibly high prospect pedigree. But let's just assume that he does what he already did, what he's shown he's capable of doing. I mean, I'm totally fine getting him where I drafted him at the end of the fourth round if he produces a 255, 17 home runs, 86 runs, 65 RBI, and 28 stolen bases. But like you mentioned, he's still young. I think there's opportunity for growth. I think people focus a lot on like the hard hit rate being low, the exit velocity being poor. And obviously like that's a, that's a legitimate thing. But I think we need to like, we don't always have to analyze every single player looking for the exact same metrics. Like with a guy like Robles, I don't think the hard hit is that important. I don't think that the average excellent velocity is that important. And I think that's because of one thing. And I think that is um, his max exit velocity. When you look at his max exit velocity, it's actually way up there. It's 110.9. So for a guy of his stature, a guy who doesn't have a great exit velocity, a guy who, um, you know, hits, makes a lot of poor contact, like that max exit velo to me provides a lot of hope because what it tells me is, like number one, you know, he he's not at the point right now where he has like the, I don't know, barrel accuracy is the right word, whatever it is. Like he doesn't have that barrel accuracy to barrel the ball up that often, right? He doesn't get a ton of barrels right now, but he does have that max exit below. So as he gets more comfortable, hopefully that increases a little bit. But what I also love about it is when you look at his average home run distance, it was 401 feet last year which ranked 168th out of 478. 
not way up at the top, but pretty good. He had a home run 446 feet. And so I think that's important because when he does barrel the ball, right, it goes a very long way. And so he doesn't need to um, make a, uh, you know, he doesn't need as high a volume necessarily of barrels because he's able to hit the ball hard, if that if that makes sense. Um, no, I completely so, agree. And so it may not be like, maybe he doesn't hit 17 again this year, but I don't think he's a guy who I'm concerned about being in like the single digits for home runs. You know, I think 15 or so would probably be the floor. And I think he can take some steps forward. And like you mentioned, like, you know, there are he batted eighth or seventh for a lot of the season this year. And so he could get pushed up in that lineup if Rendon leaves, you know, and, and that could increase his stolen base opportunity as well. So I think the floor that he set last year is totally solid. And if he repeats that, I'm totally content. But I do think that there's another level that he definitely does have. Um, in a lot of different realms. And so I, I'm a fan of him heading into this year. I had him in a few places last year as well. I was drinking the the Bubba, um, the Bubba Kool-Aid on, on Robles. So yeah, he's a guy that I'm excited to see what he does this year. I think he could be really uh, a real spectacular guy this year. A good point you made there. Well, you made many, but the point that we need to always some, maybe take a step back and not try to evaluate every guy on um, they don't all have to fit into a certain metric. And that was something I was kind of talking about as, you know, he might be one of those guys that just doesn't fit this mold. And we've seen that with a few guys we talked about is not everybody is, you know, a certain barrel rate, certain hard hit guy. Cause something you mentioned there is when he does hit the ball hard, he hits it really hard. Like he takes advantage of those situations. I think there's more to it. I, I think it's a great system to use. I reference it a ton. I know you reference them a ton. It, it's definitely something to use. It's not a tool not to use. But I think when it's the end-all, be-all, it's, it's not always the best argument. It's a good talking point, but that seems to be a lot of the argument I see right now is his, his, his overall contact's not great and so on and so forth, which makes him not a, you know, a great asset. And if this happens and this happens, I'm like, well, there's a lot of guys that could hit a slump and you're screwed. So you never know, but I love his upside. So I'm, I'm a big fan of what Victor Robles brings to the table in 2020. All right, let's do the bad part here. Who's the first guy you got wrong? Oh, Bubba, don't do it to me. Um, so the first one for me is my, uh, you know, I'm going to wear, I should get like a necklace with a figure, with his bobblehead. I don't know if he has a bobblehead, but I should get a <laughs> necklace that I wear that's heavily weighted uh, around my neck just to remind me of my poor judgment. Um, so number one is Jake Bowers. Uh, he was consensus number 63. I had him as my number 39 outfielder. He was my most owned bat heading out of drafts last year. And he finished who the hell knows where he finished. <laughs> I don't know, triple A. Um, no, I mean, it was just a real struggle. And I think there were things to like. I think there were probably things that I missed um, along the way with, uh, with Jake Bowers. But um, that was definitely one that hurt. Um, and was disappointing um, across the board. And I'm sorry to everyone who drafted Jake Bowers on my recommendation. I hope uh, I hope that he did not destroy your league, and I hope it brings you joy that um, you know he he definitely hurt me in some way. Yeah, you you don't need to apologize for that. That's a people know when you're picking guys like Jake Bowers that there's the upside you're playing for, but it's also Jake Bowers. So it's not like you're saying, "Hey, go play Mike Trout." 
it's you, you were you're going out on a limb there and uh no one would be surprised if he figures it out here in the next year or two and next thing you know you're riding into the main event championship with a Jake Bauer share. So not, nothing <laughs> well, would shock, well, shock me there. A couple of things there. I would be highly surprised if he does. <laughs> and number two, I probably won't have him on my teams. I've been too badly burned. Um, no, but I mean, I, w- I wish I wish him very well in his career, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm just not sure the batted ball quality is good enough. Um, uh, you know, and he doesn't have Victor Robles speed uh, to compensate, and he doesn't even have Victor Robles max exit velocity. Um, so. You know, I'm I'm out I'm I'm out on Jake Bowers until I see something different. I'm Who sorry, Jake. It's one? it's not you. It's me. Yeah. Um, totally. Mine was Andrew Benintendi. I had him ranked eighth coming into the year. I caught a bunch of crap because I had him in front of guys like Aaron Judge and Giancarlo. Technically, I won one of those, um, but uh, it was it was not good. I thought the 25 year olds can take the next step, similar in the vein of Victor Robles. You know, back to back years of 20 plus stolen bases. 270 plus average, 20 homers, 16 homers, you know, the runs, the RBIs, everything was great. This guy was a top end talent hitting towards the top of that Red Sox lineup, and then it just went poof. 13 homers, 72 runs, 68 RBIs, 10 stolen bases. You wanted a lot more than that. Only hit 266, and his BABIP was actually higher than it's been either of the previous two seasons. So he was just a mess. A uh, 23% K rate up from 16% the year before. That was not ideal at all. When you look at all his X stats, they were not good either. Um, they're, you know, they were actually in line with, with the others slightly. You know, 330 Woba, 340 X Woba. They said he should have been a little better, but it, it's weird. It's one of these I really want to dig into more. Maybe need your expertise on a future episode to dig in on Benintendi because if you look at him, he had his career best ever barrels at 8.1%. His exit velo was was about the same as it's always been, a little higher. His launch angle went from 12.6 to 17.3. His hard hit rate went from 33 to 37. His ex-Wobo on contact, 401. These are all really, really not bad. Um, like I said, a strikeout rate went through the roof, which was less than ideal. When you look at his um, zone contact and his chase uh, chase contact, chase rate, the chase rate went up from 24 to 29.5%. So he was outside the zone a lot more. And his chase contact went down from 72% to 65%. Um, so I think that stands out as something to keep an eye on. But it, it's just weird because his ground ball went down, his fly ball went up, his line drive went down. It's a very weird profile to look at. It's one of those that at the right cost might be reeling me back in. He's 25 on a very good offense. At the same time, last year was really, really bad, and it's one I definitely got wrong. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I had him in one of my in one of my big leagues there. Um yeah, it was a little bit of an interesting year. I mean, the the K rate went up because the contact um, dipped uh, a lot as well. But it is interesting to just kind of see where he, um, you know, what what he did because, like you mentioned, there was some positive developments there, just in terms of like the hard hit rate and all of those things that you mentioned. So there was some improvement. There was also, you know, whether he was selling out for that power um, and um, uh, you know, and giving up some of the contact, which brings the K rate up, like, you know, it's, it, it was definitely an interesting year. And I mean, I don't think we've necessarily seen the last of Benintendi, but I think the challenge with him is that like, 
the profile to begin with was one that was heavily reliant on those, you know, 20 stolen bases, um, because the power has never really quite been there. And I think you can see that with some of the barrel stuff and then some of the max exit velo stuff where, you know, his max is like 107, which is right around where Jake Bauer's max is. Like the hit tool is really, really, um, it's really, really good. So it will be interesting to figure out like what exactly he did um, differently or wrong, um, you know, as we kind of dive in, because nothing, nothing has jumped out to me necessarily, which can be a good thing because that means that, oh, well, maybe he's just, you know, do some positive regression back to his previous level. Or it's kind of scary because you're like, I'm not exactly sure why he, why he sucks so bad, you know. <laughs> and if you can't put a finger on that, it's really hard to to invest in him moving forward. So definitely an enigma. Yeah, I'm really. He is an enigma. He's an enigma. He's one of those ones I feel like I want to gamble on at the right price, but I should probably just stay away and let someone else reap the rewards if it happens. Type thing. It's a tough one. Yeah. Who's your number two? Um, my number two is, uh, um, Lorenzo Cain is my number two. Um, Lorenzo Cain was the consensus number 19 outfielder. I had him as my number 18 outfielder. So right around consensus, but he finished number 58 and I had him in a few leagues last year and he was just a huge, huge disappointment. I mean, he wasn't like God awfully bad, right? Like he wasn't absolutely atrocious, but you know, he underperformed his stolen bases that you wanted probably by, I don't know, 12 or 13. And and when that happens, that's just huge in today's context, right? That's the difference between like maybe five spots in the standings. In a lot of leagues, his batting average wasn't, wasn't what it normally was. You know, he was so bad, especially at the beginning of the season that he got moved towards the back end of the lineup. So uh, just an all-around miss with with Kane. Um, the good news is, and I've drafted him in a number of different places um, already this year, whether it be mock drafts or real drafts. Although he was sniped the pick before me um, in my in my DC, but the reason why I loved him heading into this year is his price is about 120 spots lower than it was last year. Yeah, and he showed pretty much identical skills last year to what he had in the past. Like if you look at his expected batting average, his expected slug was actually higher. So the t- contact quality is still there. The contact's still really high. He wasn't as disciplined as he usually was, but he struggled through a lot of injuries. And so my hope is that he's able to overcome that. And if he comes back as a healthy player next year, I think he's going to bring a ton of value right there. And even if, you know, drafting him at like, I mean, in NFBC leagues, he's going around pick 180, getting him there and getting you 15 stolen bases with that batting average is just going to be huge, you know, in and of itself. Um, and so he's a guy I like a lot heading into this year, but definitely missed on him uh, this year. Yeah, I like, the lo- I like the look ankle because I think he just had a funky year with injuries and everything. I think there's a big bounce back coming in and at the draft price. I think it's interesting. I always thought Locaine was kind of like a a miniature Marcelo Zuna type, and they're both just so tilting in what they do. But Locaine's got that stolen base upside, especially on a Brew Crew team that's going to be talented yet again. So I like that call to go back to him and his price this year and, and go after him. Uh, my number two, this will not take long. This is just okay. me admitting Christian Yellick is one I did not buy in on rebounding. Like I thought he was a late first-round pick. 
not a early first round pick that many thought he was. I didn't think there's any way he duplicate what he did the year before. And I was technically right. He didn't duplicate it. He just was better than it. He just went past where he was. He was very good. And that was on a shortened season, which is terrifying. So uh, I will not be bullish on Yellick this year. I actually took him in the pitcherless mock. Uh, the injury is interesting. I want to see how he keeps going. But with technology these days, I'm not as worried about it as I should be. Uh, I think it's another big year coming for Christian Yellick. And I will not be bullish on him going into this season. Who's your number three? Um, my number three is uh, Will Myers. Um, Will Myers was my was consensus number 32 outfielder. I had him as the number 26 outfielder, and he finished as the number 65 outfielder. So I had him a fair bit ahead of consensus. I owned him in my three biggest leagues in TGFBI um, and both of my main events. And so obviously his performance was disappointing to say the least. Um, and that is, that's sad. Um, and I think heading into next year too, he only has outfield eligibility. He had third base eligibility this year. He was not getting consistent playing time. You know, I, I do think that there's some rebound um, potential for Myers this year. Uh, you know, his contact rate at the beginning of the year was horrendous. Like, one of the league worst and it got back up to where it needed to be towards the end of the year. And he was much better. The power wasn't necessarily there, but he, he looked a lot better. And so I definitely think there's some potential. You'd be an interesting guy. I think if he got traded um, out of San Diego, um, just because defensively he isn't that good, he'd be much better at first base, but obviously they have, uh, they have somebody there um, for the foreseeable future. You know, uh, I think that would be helpful if he could move somewhere and go to first base. But with the salary that he has, I think that that's kind of a tough thing unless the Padres are willing to give something up to get that. I don't know. Maybe they're willing to give up like a high-end prospect or something like that or a higher-end prospect uh, in a deal for somebody to take on Myers so that they have more salary for a Strasburg or Cole. And not that they need more salary, need to generate more salary, right? Because they have plenty, but you know, just like within the context of baseball as we're going. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, but he's going like around pick 200 or later right now. And so um, definitely not a ton of risk uh, in the price heading into to, to, to 2020. And he's still got that power and speed. Uh, it hasn't gone anywhere. So it'll be interesting to see what he's able to do in 2020. Who is your, uh, who is your number, uh, number three? Uh, Charlie Blackman. This is a guy coming into the season. I had ranked as my 17th outfielder. People thought I was crazy. He finished 13th. And for me, I thought it was just everything was going to fall apart for the man. He's 33 years old. I guess playing in Coors is nice. I thought he was going to get traded or not resigned or whatever. Hit 32 home runs, second most in his career. The one thing I did get right is, is he went down to two stolen bases, not a double digit steal guy anymore. So that's out the window going forward. But he did hit 314. It's like he hit for average, drove in runs, 86 runs, scored 112, hit 32 homers, did almost everything you wanted. If you drafted him for steals, you got burned, which I kind of hope you weren't drafting a mid-30s guy for steals, but to each their own. Um, I would tell you to not count on that going forward. But his barrel rate was uh, the second best in his career. His uh, hard hit rate was 40% the best in his career. His X stats uh, resembled, uh, he, he outperformed his X stats, but not by a ton. Like it wasn't ludicrous. 
His Woba was a good 0.25 over his ex-Woba, but everything else is relatively close. And if you just go deeper into his metrics, um, the ground ball rate was was down to 40%, the lowest it's been since 16. His his fly ball rate was 25%, 20, or 27, highest of his career. His line drive rate was solid. Um, I mentioned his his meatball swing, it's always a fun one, was one of the highest in its career. His meatball percentage was almost 7%. So he really took advantage of what he was doing at the dish. I think I just got him wrong because he hit more homers and hit for a much better average than I expected. Side note, though, he's not stealing bases. So it was kind of like a 50-50 thing. I just wanted to mention it because a lot of people thought I was crazy. They thought he was still a top-10 outfielder going into the season. I didn't believe so. He outperformed what I thought at the same time. I still would be very timid going forward with Charlie Blackman. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's yeah, it's an interesting profile because I feel like going where he is, if you're not getting speed, it's hard to um, you know you want to be getting speed early on in drafts if you're drafting hitters, and so it's one of those things where he's a he's a super good hitter. The steamer projection's really nice on him heading into next year as well. He still plays in cores, but, you know, again, like, um, you know, that the speed is important and those two stolen bases yeah. is, um, is, 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 is tough uh, at that point in drafts when you've got, you know, there's a real premium on guys who can contribute in different facets of the game and bring you, bring you speed. So definitely an interesting dilemma for, for fantasy owners, I think, heading into the 2020 season. Yeah, he kind of falls into that, I guess, Coors mode of, you know, he's like a Nolan Arenado. Arenado's better, obviously, but it's just another guy that, or a J.D. Martinez. He does like three or four categories, but doesn't do the stolen bases. And in order to get them, you're going to have to take them early. And what we've echoed time and time again on these early podcasts, that steals seem like they're going to be at a premium. And if you want to get good steals, guys, that are going to help you everywhere else, you got to take them early. So it's going to be one of those things, Toby, do do we think these guys fall to become a better value or do you take these guys and have a plan of attack to compensate with say a Alberto Mondesi or someone else later on? Or if you took a Trey Turner, are you better off taking Charlie Blackman? Now things along those lines, you have to kind of factor in as you're building that team. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's all about roster. It's all about roster construction and, and thinking and knowing like who later on in drafts might be available, who can plug in whatever, holes you have in your roster coming out of those first few rounds. Um, it's certainly not um, impossible by any stretch of the, uh, of the imagination, but it really does depend on that, on that roster construction and also like the league that you're playing. I mean, a lot of times my analysis is very NFBC centric, you know, uh, and, and, and uh, competitions that have an overall prize, right? With TGFBI main event, online Roto, cha- Roto online championships, even the DCs have an overall component, which is, um, uh, which is a, definitely a consideration. And so I think, uh, you know, that's where a lot of my analysis comes from. But like, if you're in a, if you're in a mono league and you, um, you just feel like you want to finish middle of the pack in stolen bases and you feel like you can, um, you know, you can produce in the other categories without uh, thriving in speed, like then that's definitely something that you can do. So it's just something to think about, like, you know, but you need to know that generally speaking ahead of time as you go yeah. into those drafts, like, okay, you know, if, um, you know, and, and, and you can, you can obviously pivot like at that point, if, if Charlie Blackman's there and you really want him and just say, well, you know, instead of getting a guy who maybe gets, 
me 20 stolen bases here. I'm getting Charlie Blackman and I can't count on more than maybe five heading into next year. So, you know, like in this particular instance, maybe I need to make sure that I'm dominating whatever the other categories that those are. Maybe it's runs because, you know, Blackman is just an absolute stud in runs. Maybe it's batting average, whatever it is. Like, just make sure you have a strategy. Make sure you're thinking down the road about which players might be available to fill whatever holes are left in your roster. So again, like there's a lot of ways to build, uh, I think a successful team. You just need to be thinking about them during the draft and ahead of the draft and being able to pivot and realize how it impacts which players are available to you later on to follow through with whatever strategy you choose. Yeah. And that just gave me an idea for a podcast for us to do closer to draft season is make a list of guys that'll help you in certain categories specifically. Like if you're drafting player A that's not going to help you with stolen bases, well, here's a list of 10 guys that might not help you somewhere else. Be able to get after pick 150 that'll help you in steals. Stuff along those lines, like Malik Smith always comes to the top of my mind. It's risky because playing time with him, you never know if it stays consistent. But a guy like Malik Smith, I think he was third in all of baseball and stolen bases last year. and even play a full season. Uh, guys along those lines can make things interesting for you. So that's something we can definitely dig into some more. But it does, like you said, roster constructions, a massive piece of that. It just makes it interesting looking at all the different options and uh, the depth at the position. Uh, what are your final thoughts on the outfield position? I, I know we, we have a lot more research to do on it. Such a deep position, but what are you kind of thinking about on the position as a whole? Yeah, um, I think it's a lot like last year. I think that there there's some really just a, a top-end talent um, that is available and is really good. Um, and then I think there are is also some late values, I think, that are really nice, like you know, we talked about Lorenzo Cain as a guy who's going much later than he went last year. I think that's a really good value. I mean, Adam Eaton is a guy that I'm really digging where his cost is right now because I think he's got a pretty similar profile. And he's been kind of called injury prone because he was injured for a couple seasons. But we've seen like, you know, unless it's unless it's some sort of degenerative issue, like guys can come back. Look at Michael Brantley, right? For the, For a while, he had the injury prone tag and now he's put up two full seasons of, of stellar contributions as a fantasy asset. So I think there's a lot of depth with the position. Like in my DC, it's round 13, uh, around pick 200. You got Jock Peterson, so a 30 home run hitter. You got Mitch Haniger, you know, who in addition to having a testicle that exploded, okay. uh, was also doing really well uh, before he got injured. Uh, Brian Reynolds, a high batting average guy who looked really, really nice last year with the Pirates. Scott Kingery, you know, uh, uh, a power speed potential who's still really young and heading into his third full MLB season. So there's just like a ton of guys like J.D. Davis, Hunter Dozier. Like yeah. it, it goes on and on. Like there's a ton of depth. And I think it's just a matter of really thinking through like what um, – what you can get late from these outfielders. Like if you're looking for guys who can give you double digit home runs and double digit stolen bases, like, you know, you got Eaton, you got Kingery right there, right? You got um, uh, Kevin Pillar, who's still going pretty, pretty far back. So there's a lot of options like to fill those different, different needs. And one thing I'd say about roster construction is like, just because I was talking about before is, I've been going, I've been double tapping starting pitchers in a lot of my drafts. Like in the DC, I went with Garrett Cole at one, Chris Sale at two, followed by Austin Meadows. 
And I think that that's definitely, it's, it's feasible to, to construct a, a solid offense doing that. You need to be committed to offense after those double taps. But you got to realize that that limits the player pool afterwards, I think, in, in some real, re, some very real ways. And it, it forces you to really think about stolen bases in nearly every other category. Because a lot of those early five category contributors who give you a ton of stolen bases, or at least like, you know, 20 to 30 stolen bases are not going to be on your team necessarily. And so like, you need to think about how you can fit in different pieces and how you need to focus on stolen bases from that point forward if you're trying to build a balanced team, which I'm trying to do. And so like, if you look at my subsequent picks, like Meadows is a 10 stolen base guy. Robles is a 30, 25 to 30 stolen base guy. Tommy Pham's a 20 stolen base guy. Semyon's a 10 stolen base guy. Right, I don't I don't draft any guys up to that point who don't get me any stolen bases. And then I, I digress from it a little bit, but I'm now I'm cognizant of the fact that I need to catch up a little bit afterwards. So I think that that's what I love about roster construction discussions is just really thinking about like you have this vast player pool of all these guys that have all these different contributions that they make to your team. But as you start to build that roster, even from that first pick, you know, that player pool dwindles, not only like who's available because they're picked, but like who's available to you if you want to build a balanced roster. And that to me is like the fun aspect of, of fantasy. No doubt about it. And uh, looking at the too early mock ADP, it, we're kind of, you are in your draft, the farther down you go in the draft, you can still find power at the outfield. Speed starts to get smaller and smaller. So I think that's just something to keep, driving home for now unless we see something change that speed you still need to get rather early maybe it's not right out the gate but you need to get it earlier than not especially like you said when you build your roster you know get guys that can get you at least 10 draft if you got to take certain players that might not be so good in something you're still covered so think about like you said roster construction wise to uh to go with and as deep as the outfield is like we, we said earlier is you can mix and match different statistical needs for your roster throughout the um the draft so definite things to do later on and it, it's super deep just reading guys something you didn't mention like mark Connor, i think super interesting next year garrett hampson's got outfit eligibility trent grisham i know you mentioned him before as a guy that stands out there's a lot of guys down here that can be sneaky sneaky nice as the uh going in the next season so i'm curious to see where these adps continue to change as, as drafts continue to change and everything but it should be a fun one to say the least all right toby that'll wrap us up for bubba and the bat flip 15 next week we will do starting pitchers and relief pitchers it was just a fun discussion on outfielders and nfbc adp and overall drafts and everything uh, what are your final thoughts as we're heading towards thanksgiving well, I just want to uh, thank everybody for listening. It's obviously, um, you know, love being on the podcast with you. Love that folks are listening. Uh, please engage. If you have questions you'd like us to address, uh, you know, definitely let us know. But enjoy the holiday. Um, hope you have an opportunity to spend it with family and friends. Um, and, yeah, I just, uh, you know, really am thankful uh, for for our listeners and for folks who are engaging on fantasy baseball and really the fantasy baseball community more broadly. It's just been, um, you know, it's just a very supportive uh, community, generally speaking. And 
um, you know, uh, I'm appreciative of that. I'm thankful for you as well, Bubba, as an amazing co-host and the guy who makes the podcast run. I appreciate that. And I echo everything Toby said is very thankful for all you listeners. Uh, we wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for you guys and the interest you guys put forth. So we really appreciate it. So feel free to engage anytime uh, with questions, concerns, anything. If you want certain things discussed, let us know. We're an open book. We just like to talk baseball and fantasy baseball. So if it's interest you guys, we will talk about it. It's pretty simple. Uh, as you can tell, over half today's podcast was not on the outline. We just kind of started talking about things. It's, we, it's, we're easy that way. So let us know if you have anything. Um, thank you, Toby, for being an awesome co-host as well. I can't wait to see where this continues to grow and, and, and develop into. It's going to be a fun, fun few months before the next baseball season. But uh, until then, thanks again, everybody. Have a fun and safe Thanksgiving holiday weekend if you have bad weather. There's bad weather across the whole country, it looks like. So travel safe. Uh, enjoy yourselves. Hopefully this, ride, uh, this podcast helped you on your travels. Relax a little bit and just laugh at uh, some of our bad picks and, and enjoy some of our good picks. But until next time, this was Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode 15. Have a good one, everybody. We'll catch you later. Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.